Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And uh, if you're listening to this on Friday, April 22nd, then happy Earth Day to you. Yay! Earth Day! Yeah, it's officially Earth Day. That's, uh, it's an internationally recognized holiday, uh, for those who, who didn't know. Um, dear, did, how, how do you, how do you feel about Earth Day? Um, well, I don't know, I guess I always really enjoyed Earth Day. Um, I was always aware of it being an April baby, like, you're very aware of the holidays that fall in your birth month. Um... And so, I always really liked Earth Day. I thought that it was, you know, I, I, I like plants. I like plants a lot. I like, I like, you know, going outside and seeing plants. And I liked the fact that there was a whole holiday to celebrate, like, the Earth. And, you know, really, like, the, the more, I guess, connected to the nature parts of the Earth and less about, like, I don't know, probably what the Earth looks like now from space. I bet you can see the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's fair. I remember growing up in schools having you do things for Earth Day. And I remember always, always definitely, especially like growing up around here in, in North Carolina, all of the, the nature that you that you get. You know, I, I definitely appreciate the sort of efforts and ideas that underlie Earth Day as a, as a concept. I haven't always really, like, particularly celebrated it myself as, as an active person, you know, every single year. But for the most part, I, I definitely really enjoy Earth Day. And living with you also, I'm, I'm particularly more aware. <laughs> But I also think that it's it's like the perfect time of year for Earth Day because um you're you're just getting out of winter and and spring is like for the most part and depending on where you are I guess um spring is like really coming in 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 full force now you know there are flowers there's pollen there are allergies there's you know those 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 flowers falling and then leaves coming and it's just like a, a beautiful time to like really watch you know the re the rebirth happen you know as it does every year but it's it's still you know it's nice to see it after like a long winter so i think that like you know earth day falls in like a perfect visual time to like admire the earth as well you know depending on i guess where you live but if you do have trees then they and they are reacting to the to the temperature change and the and the shifts and you know doing what nature does on this weird cycle that it's on and it's it's beautiful no for sure uh so for those who don't know here's a little bit of history about earth day uh Earth Day is a global celebration and awareness day orchestrated by activists for environmental movement, uh, for the environmental movement and the goals of sustainability. Uh, it's celebrated April 22nd, both in the United States and internationally. 
the planning for the celebration began in the 60s uh, by U.S. Senator Gaylord Nelson and Harvard graduate student Dennis Hayes. Uh, and the goal was to use motivation and energy of student activism at the time. You know, you had things like the, the civil rights movement, where you had people, students going down and organizing voting and anti-war movement and, and that sort of thing. So to kind of tap into that student activism energy to also energize the glow, growing awareness of environmentalism and, and its causes that was happening in the late 60s. Uh, and turn all of that into political action and protection. Fascinating. I hadn't even thought about it. I guess, you know, you put it in such nice context there with with um our our history with the timeline. Um holy crap. Yeah. Uh the first Earth Day was held April twenty second, nineteen seventy. Uh so it started in the in the late sixties. It finally was finished in nineteen seventy. And it was held across the United States, but the two largest demonstrations were held in New York City on Fifth Avenue and Washington, D.C. at the Washington Monument. Oh, okay. Uh, it wasn't until 1990 that the first International Earth Day was held. Today, Earth Day is observed in 192 countries approximately and approximately 1 billion people took part in Earth Day 2021. How are they how are they counting that? Uh I guess probably through online social engagement um sponsored events cuz they do have global partners around the world that help participate in in planning and executing events at schools. Wow. Wow, that is... That's spooky. <laughs> that's spooky. You know, we're not, like, all just, like, signing a petition. It's it's more like they're, they're collecting all of these multi-sources of following you around all day. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Oh, that's weird. But that's a little background on Earth Day. What, uh, are there any movies in particular that... When you hear Earth Day, that like, you think I, of? I think of that movie in particular. Um, I don't know. Probably things that are, like, having to deal with, like, Earth. So, um, in, like, some capacity or, like, animals or something, you know. Um, the first thing that came to mind was A Bug's Life. Oh, that's a good one. Because, like, it's 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 really interactive, with like the environment at a at an interesting scale at a you know this perspective of what it would be like to live as a as a bug and what you would use as like tools and 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 what your life would be like um it's by disney if you don't know that um uh, uh, disney pixar yeah 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 it's one of the three-dimensional ones that's not um, a bad one I thought of March of the Penguins. Oh, that's good. That's good. You want like more of a documentary style. Um, no, that's that's good. Um, I also was thinking uh, awful um, 
choice, but it, the, the the thinking about trees made me think about it. I was thinking about Pocahontas. Oh, okay. Another Disney property because I was thinking about the willow, like the grandmother. Um, but I was like, the rest of it isn't isn't right. Um. Another one that just came to mind and sort of line with the ideas, sort of I guess of raising global awareness. You could go sort of in the extreme. You could go Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, oh, do you kind of like what we're doing? Yeah. Today is like a kind of like what it could be. You exactly. Know, the extremes. And that's an excellent transition. So today <laughs> we decided to, with Earth Day in mind, kind of look at what cinematic options there were. And we ended up deciding that we were going to take take a topic that's sort of interesting and topical right now uh, and expand on that and how it's been presented in film. And so we decided, obviously, by the title, to do Godzilla and the China Syndrome. And we decided to tackle atomic energy as an overall sort of topic and theme. Nuclear energy is a sort of overall topic and theme for our episode sort of both how it's been metaphorically handled about about its weapon effects and then of course also its portrayal inside of a sort of political bureaucratic system as a form of energy in the china syndrome um so we're tackling both of those and and i think that they're both very interesting ways to look at nuclear energy which does have such a very polarizing effect and very, very polarizing opinions in both ways that it's used, right? Weapons have very polarizing opinions. Nuclear energy has very polarizing opinions. So I think that it's pretty interesting to to look at how both sides of it have, have really been, been looked at in very different ways from very different cinematic traditions. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. No, yeah. Um, I mean, like, one of these movies I had never heard of before we, we started doing this. So, you know, it's always it's always fun to to expand the the knowledge base as well. No, that is also true. We are doing kind of very different e- extremes of, I think, like, awareness. Mm-hmm. So the first one that we are doing is Godzilla. Before we get started on Godzilla, do you have any uh, favorite like on-screen kaiju or monsters in general? Of the large varietal, I would prefer. Uh, or do you have any, any favorite monster or kaiju movies? Um, okay. So for my favorite, I guess, kaiju in a movie... It's it's got to go to the to the starfish in Suicide Squad. Ah, good the, call. Starro. The, Starro, the Suicide Squad. It's absolutely fantastic. It's the it's one of the best monsters that I have ever seen on a live action anything before. Um, I think that it looks phenomenal. I think that they do a tremendous job, and it's so creative, and it's so weird, and. It just it just amplifies, I think, the the whole final take of that movie. Um, but my my fi- my favorite kaiju movie, 
I think that's a harder question for me. Because, like, a whole movie based around one thing, let's say. Which basically just boils it down to, like, is it Kong or is it Godzilla? You know what I mean? (laughs) In, like, a grand scheme. Because, like, I can't think of any other movies that are, like, a... That aren't those that are also like a kaiju movie that like that's the namesake of the movie i came up with my five favorite monster kaiju movies okay and my five favorite like just monster kaijus overall oh my gosh you have five of each yeah oh jesus uh movies one jurassic park this is no particular order Okay, I guess my question is then, like, Jurassic Park, like, it's a dinosaur, it's not. Yeah, but it's a genetic abnormality. It's a Frankenstein story. Okay, okay, I guess I see your point, because, like, Kong is just a big gorilla. Yeah. Hey, okay, okay, I'll accept that answer, continue. Uh, two, Godzilla, 1954. (laughs) Okay. Three, Jaws. Okay, because he's a so he's a big shark. Yeah, and he's also got a taste for blood. <laughs> yeah. Four Cloverfield. Oh, Cloverfield is good. That's a good choice. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, Cloverfield's a good movie. Five the the Pete Jackson King Kong. Mm, see, see, you had both Godzilla and Kong on your list, so I told you. Uh, my second list, my favorite, just sort of monster kaiju overall. Mm-hmm. One, Clover. From, from, from Cloverfield. Cloverfield. Two, uh, the Queen Alien. From Alien? Z. Yeah. It is the second one, yeah, because that's the one where there's Great like more big than... monster design. Oh, yeah. Is that a puppet? Partially. It's a mixture of a lot of different things. Fascinating. They did a great job. Uh, Godzilla from 2014. Godzilla from 2014. Is that the the beginning of the... The Monsterverse? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Gareth Edwards one. Oh, okay, yes, With yes, Brian I like Cranston. I love that Godzilla design. I love that big old just honk of meat Godzilla. Thick. Um Yeah, absolutely adore that Godzilla. Uh, four, Leviathan from Atlantis. Oh, that is a good choice. Thank you. And uh, five, Starro. Hey! Here's one that I thought for sure you were going to mention, Reptar. Oh, I love Reptar. Um, no, I didn't even think about that. Well, I did have that epiphany while we were watching the movie that I was like, hold on, is Reptar just Godzilla? Like, it had never crossed my mind before. <laughs> Not until that moment. Um... But no, that's a good, that's a good choice. I really like Clover. I think that I think that that might be my my favorite kaiju movie because it's called Cloverfield. Like it's 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 named after the monster. I'll accept it. We've also got Pacific Rim. Oh, that's true. That's true. I haven't seen Pacific Rim in a while though, so my my memory on the movie is is a little fuzzy. We can re rewatch it. It's a good one. Um. So. Let's go ahead, though, and talk about one of, I mean, the iconic, not just one of, it's the iconic kaiju himself, 
Godzilla. Uh, so Godzilla came out in 1954 for a little bit of background on Japanese film history at that time, because you knew that this was coming. You should have. If you're... <laughs> If you've listened before, you should have known it was coming. If you're new here, you're about to get a little history lesson. Buckle up. (laughs) So, Godzilla came out in 1954, which is a really interesting time for Japanese film. Uh, So, if you want some more background and that kind of thing, we do have uh, some episodes... Sword of Doom, which is episode 198. Uh, We also have episodes 211, uh, which is Tokyo Godfathers. Oh, wait, no. Excuse me. We've got 196, which is uh, Sword of Doom and Tom Popa. We've got 198, which is uh, Tokyo Godfathers. And we've got 211, which is A Silent Voice and Machia. Uh, So we've done some Japanese film before. And you can get some different tidbits from all of those if you want to go back and and hear some stuff. Um, But uh, Japan at this point had sort of developed two different types of of studio systems and general genres of filmmaking because there had been an earthquake on the island in 1923. And it ended up causing you know, one studio system to sort of stay exactly where it was at and use sort of all of the historical buildings that were around it and the other one to continue on and rebuild with more modern buildings and use more modern technology and filmmaking methods. Uh, The first one, the older one, was called Jedi Geki and the newer one was called Gendai Geki. Um, 1926 to 1936 is considered a sort of golden age in Japanese cinema, especially for period films. Um, and that's also when there was like a slew of directors that were making samurai films and things like that, including two people that ended up going on to mentor Akira Kurosawa. Oh. Uh, and so... You know, they have sound in the 30s, um, but the 30s also ends up monopolizing the film industry. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of buy-ups, and for a little while, it's three and then eventually five major studios that end up controlling Japanese film industry for, for a long time. Mm. Uh, and so then, of course, you know, World War II happens, and there's all of the disruption that happens with with that in terms of their film industry. You know, it gets sort of tied up in some of the nationalism that the, that the government is wanting to promote. Uh, World War II happens, and, you know, there's all of the air raids in general, and there's the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki with the atomic bomb. And... Um, you know, Japan is, is really left in a state of, like, rebuild when the war is over. Um, I mean, they're absolutely decimated. They lost 900,000 uh, people in total. Wow. Um, and so... 
they start to rebuild, but then they're also under U.S. occupation. And the film industry gets going again, um, un- but uh, it's under the sort of supervision of this board that's been created called the Civil Information and Education Section. And they decide what will and won't get sort of shown. Uh, and you can say anything you want, but not really. There are a few things you can't say. Um, and those are anything that promote ideas like militarism and imperialism. Uh, and you can't be openly critical of occupation, and you cannot be openly critical of the atomic bomb. Mm. Uh, and it's the glorification, I should be specific, of militarism and imperialism. Uh, and so 554 films get made during occupation. Only 329 are released. Oh. Uh, the rest are banned and confiscated, and many of those films are burned. Just like the books. So by uh, occupation end, it's 1952. Mm-hmm. So at this point... Um, Two years later, the Japanese film industry has been on its own post-World War II only for two years. Okay. And so they finally get a chance to go and make a movie that's openly critical of atomic weaponry and atomic energy. And then this circles into Mm -hmm. Godzilla. Yes, because they haven't been allowed to be openly critical of any of this, and so now they get to express sort of their opinion on any of this for the first time in film. And they go, huge lizard, atomic breath, destroys the city. And so what ends up happening is a a guy um, goes out on a a plane ride and... um, he just had a deal fall through in another country that he was trying to get a film made in. And the deal falls through. And so what ends up happening is as he's coming back over, he looks down and he sees the Bikini Atoll, which where is where this nuclear disaster happened. So Japan ended up suffering two sort of nuclear incidences. Um, and one of them was in 1954, that year. So he looks down and he sees the Bikini Atoll where the U.S. did a nuclear bomb test. And a fishing boat, the Lucky Dragon, I think Lucky Dragon number five, was out in the water and it wasn't supposed to be there. And it ends up, um, like, exposing all of them to radiation. And one of them ends up dying, like, very shortly sometime thereafter because there's this nuclear test on this island. Wow. And they're exposed to it. And so the guy is flying over, and he looks down out of his window, and he sees the Bikini Atoll, and he starts thinking about, like, a sort of story around that idea. Um, and they he, he goes, and, and he starts sort of getting together this, this motion picture, and he hires um, a special effects guy. Um, and so the producer's name, I should mention, is Tomoyuki Tanaka. And he hires uh, Aiji Tsuburaya. And 
he's hired to storyboard and help do visual effects and and craft some of the story and so he ends up also like crafting like a short draft of the film early on wow and um they start contacting some directors um but most of them aren't is- interested because they think that the whole concept sounds ridiculous of this massive creature coming from nuclear radiation. Oh, no whimsy. And so they contact uh, Ishiro Honda, and he thinks that it sounds interesting, but he wants to like take it deadly seriously because he has experience in the military, and he saw some of the aftermath of um, some of the atomic bombing. Okay. And so if he does it, he wants to, to take what they do deadly seriously. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. want it to be like a, a hokey thing. Um, and that start of, sort of starts getting the whole thing moving. And so Honda and his writing partner, Takeo Murata, start working together to write a script. And, uh, the early creature was actually supposed to be a gorilla, more so, uh, but, like, amphibious. And so its name, uh, Gojira, in, in Japanese, uh, comes from the mashing together of the words Gorira and Kujira, which mean gorilla and whale. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so... It ends up being uh, one of the most expensive films ever made in Japanese film history. It it cost, I think, like roughly the equivalent of $900,000 at the time. Wow. Uh, They thought about using stop motion but didn't do it because it was going to take too long. Interesting. Because you got to think, they were all doing this in 1994. They start working on it the year that it gets released. 1994? 1954. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Okay. I might have misspoke. I can't recall. I think you said 94. Apologies. 54. So, um, and, and they end up using, you know, a lot of these story elements openly in the, in the movie with, with cities being attacked and also, of course, with the shipping incident that starts the movie yes so godzilla that's a little bit of history and background on godzilla itself overall um is directed by like i said ashiro honda it's written by ashiro honda and takeo murata uh and it stars uh huro nakajima as godzilla uh, Akira Takarada as Hideo Ogata, the young guy. Yeah, eye patch. No. Uh, Momoko Kochi is Amiko Yamane, the main uh, woman. Yes. Akihiko Harada is Doctor Serizawa. That's eye patch. Okay. He's clean cut. The other guy is clean cut. Ogata is clean cut. Oh, okay. And Takashi Shimura as uh, Dr. Yamane, the dad. Okay. 
And the plot is American nuclear weapon testing results in the creation of a seemingly unstoppable dinosaur-like beast. So, dear, what did you think of Godzilla? Oh, I think that this movie is is, is a real gem. Um, I think that it is just absolutely the craziest thing that could have ever been put on film. I think that that is completely fact. But I think that it works so well in its favor. I think that it is a really inventive film. Um, and, like, for the for the times of them making this movie, I think that it is just... Of course, that's how much it cost for them to make this movie. Like, it was... This thing had had shots in it that I was like, that took time. That took money right there. That took know? time, money, and they did it once. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was all that they had, man. They they didn't have any more props after that one. That was it. So, um, like, you really have to, like, bow down to, like, the, the, just the amount of work that it took to, to make this film. Um... Now, with that being said, um, there are some moments that are, that are gosh darn the funniest thing that you ever did see on a 4K television, <laughs> um, in this movie. And like, again, I have to be like, it's, it, this movie was made in the, the fifties, but there are moments when you see Godzilla, where it's straight up just looks like a hand puppet from like. I don't know, like the Muppets or something, like something with googly eyes on it that's like, woo, the whole time. Like, there's straight up moments that, that Godzilla loses all scare and just becomes a little funny to look at. Um, <laughs> do you they know what They keep I mean? the whites of the eyes thing all the way into the 70s. That's just like, <laughs> it looks like little googly eyes. Um, <laughs> like it just doesn't doesn't look look scary at all like um i think that godzilla works really well like they do a, a lot of really good interesting staging and shots to to make godzilla look interesting and like i really really enjoy the fact that it's just kind of like some dude in a suit um i think that that's a lot of fun i i want to watch more of them i hear that they they basically like sumo wrestle with godzilla in another in another movie and i'm, I'm very curious um, about that it's 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 not just that some of the fighting gets very, um, very, like, wrestling-like and that sort of thing. It's that you also have some, some movies where Godzilla is straight, out and out, honestly, sort of punching people. <laughs> and there's, there's definitely at least one movie where he's he's like light on his toes, you know, bouncing around, oh, kind of like doing uh, footwork. So I love it. absolutely fantastic. No, I'm 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 also I'm very interested to like you know as I said uh, go further into the the genre as well. Like this is this is definitely something that I'm like all right, sign me up for it. It's it's kind of ridiculous and I love it. Um. Yeah, yeah, I I want to put it on I want to put it on stage. <laughs> I think that that would be a, a a fun thing to do. So, out of curiosity, now that we've heard a little bit of your opinion on it, what's your familiarity overall with both the first Godzilla before you saw it? What was your sort of familiarity with the first Godzilla before you saw it and also Godzilla overall? Okay, um, so I've I've never seen this movie before. I've never seen this movie before. I've never seen any of the the really old 
I guess you would say, like, Godzilla movies. Like, I had heard of the character. I understood the concept. But I definitely, I guess, have seen more King Kong movies than I have seen Godzilla movies. And I haven't seen the first King Kong movie either. But the movie is from, like, the 30s? 33. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Um, But, like, my really only experience with Godzilla has, I think, been this more recent iteration of of the character. Like, these movies that came out in the past couple of years. But they were also, like, there was the, um... The one with with Matthew Broderick, is it Matthew yeah. Broderick? Yeah, I, I've 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 watched that one. Godzilla, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that one, but that's that's pretty much like as far back as I can go, with the, with the franchise as a as a whole. So like for me, this was kind of like a completely fresh experience to see like the beginnings. It's like watching an Adam West Batman, you know. It's kind of funny and it's kind of serious and we can't tell who's who's thinking which one at what time in the scene and it's it's the best kind of mystery. Yeah, you know, once upon a time this was truly you know, terrifying. No, yeah, but now it's like just a just a fun little time capsule of like look at what these people are doing. Look uh, at what they have to do to get this shot and make it as realistic looking as possible. It's great. Um, so I, I grew up watching, I had seen one of the old Godzilla movies. I'm not sure which one. I want to say Son of Godzilla at a friend's house (laughs) on a sleepover. Perfect. That sounds like a like a kid's story waiting to happen, like a coming of age movie. Boom, we're here. And so I think I think we saw that movie, and before that, I hadn't really seen any other like Godzilla movies. I was aware of Godzilla because of toys, and because he was sort of you know like the cultural icon of Godzilla. Well, that's, I think, also why I was not aware of the fact that, like, Reptar is Godzilla. Because I just just didn't really have a connection with it, you know? Yeah. And so, I think, then I saw the, the Broderick Godzilla. I think I saw it in theaters, I might have. Perfect. Because I had already seen jurassic park movies and theaters and that sort of thing so what's the difference i mean honestly so you're not not entirely wrong i think we saw godzilla in theaters and i absolutely loved the old the old 1998 godzilla i adored it as a kid i had like godzilla toys from that movie i absolutely thought that that movie was awesome at the time huge uh, I was I was super hooked on on Godzilla at that at that point, especially because he looked so much more like a dinosaur. I know that that's like a much much maligned, disliked design for Godzilla, and I know that it is certainly not at all anything that is is normal for a Godzilla design. They went in a totally different direction, but I I thought that it was cool as hell. And even though the movie, I rewatched it before this, I watched, let me talk about also what I did do to get prepared for this episode in terms of Godzilla content that I watched. Oh yeah, you did research. You yeah. you, you did active watching of movies without me. So, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love you. I love you. And so, um, that was like the Godzilla that I knew for a long, long time. And then eventually I saw the 1954 Godzilla. And I didn't really like rewatch it again. I think that I watched it like in class. I didn't have a copy of it. And so after that, that was pretty much it. And then I saw the 2014 Godzilla. I thought that that was absolutely awesome. I thought that Gareth Edwards Godzilla whipped ass. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I thought that he did a great job capturing that, the essence of that, that feeling of watching something so big and so enormously destructive and it didn't have, you know, any of the seriousness of, like, this Godzilla in terms of how it was really, like, handling some of its deeper themes. It got into it, definitely, for sure. Um, but it it didn't lean into it quite as hard. Um, it did have some stumbling blocks in it, but for the most part, that movie absolutely fucking roars. I love that movie. Rewatching this 1954 Godzilla again... I really had a tremendous time with it. It's it's such an iconic to your point. It it is such an iconic piece. It is such a historic visual to see how they did all of these incredible things. I mean, painstaking stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you can see the work, you can see the effort. Painstaking stuff that involved a lot of hard work in pre-production where they had to storyboard everything out because they had to set up all of the all of the staging of everything correctly. It was like a it's like a, it's like watching a play but you have the the luxury of like literally doing it in parts. And you know, and then you stitch it together. It's beautiful. And the suit was incredibly heavy. And very difficult to work in. He had like an oxygen tube stuffed into it so that way he could breathe. It was it was really a tremendous Herculean effort to kind of make this movie. But it absolutely pays off in the end. Um, because it's, it's, it is iconic. And they totally land exactly the theme that they want. Because on top of just having Godzilla there... They also support the structure of that narrative with the other characters. Um, you know, you've got um, you've got Yamane, who's kind of sitting there. Doctor Yamane, who's Yamane. Oh, I I don't I don't remember. I can't. <laughs> you know what? It might be Yamane. I mean. I don't know. We'd have to we'd have to watch it again, I guess, at this point. The old doctor. Uh the old doctor. who's kind of interested in the idea of studying this incredible nuclear power cuz Godzilla is just sort of raw nuclear power, right? Yeah. And so I think he's so fascinated by the creature that he just wants to to potentially study all of this fantastical power. And then you have Ogata, who's just kind of like an everyday person and is just like, no, I just want it gone. I just don't want it in my life. I don't care about the potential that it could have. I just want I, it gone. I, I love the, the scientist dude being like, nah, let it run free. Let it murder and kill 
thousands because of science. <laughs> like, and I totally understand, like, his point of view. Like, this is Leo Marvel. You don't know if there's going to be another thing like it. You do want to study it. But also, it's killing so many people that it's just impractical. Like, this is, an, that's, this is a, a wish and a hope and a prayer. Like, you better get out some kind of recording equipment now and record Godzilla because he's coming down. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can do your studying of the body. <laughs> no, literally, like it's it would be like if the if the scientists from um oh gosh, not Men in Black, the other Will Smith thing, um Independence Day were just like, what if Hear me out. We just kept the aliens alive. That's fine. You know, we would be slaughtered. <laughs> we would be dead. <laughs> we barely got out of that the first time. We'd be dead. So you know, I I think that, and then you have to kind of you know nail the the point home. You've got Doctor Sarazawa. You know, it's not subtle, but also it's very. <laughs> it's not subtle. But also, this movie, I guess, and and you know, Japanese cinema, especially at this point, still comes from a very theatrical perspective. Well, I think that, that could be said about a lot of theater. Well, that's what I meant, though. Mm-hmm. Like the the all of the live you know, work that had to go into to making this actually happen. Yeah. It's all in the camera, guys. And so uh, Dr. Sarazawa, of course, creates something that could maybe potentially one day have some use that is for good. But as far as we're concerned, it's it's nothing but a weapon right now. And... You know, it's it's sort of this perfect allegory again for this atomic weapon kind of idea. You know, this thing that can be used for good, yeah, maybe, but you know that once people learn about it and learn that it's a weapon, it's a weapon forever. And so then, you know, he goes and and throws himself, you know, on onto his own device and blows up along with Godzilla at the end, you know, completely wiping out all of all of the the sort of imagery associated with atomic energy and atomic power and weapons of mass destruction. I love the visual way that they try and, like, distinguish between characters with, like, just random crazy things. Like, the eye patch kills me. It is absolutely the most ridiculous thing that they could have possibly put that man in. And they were just like, look at him. Doesn't he look evil? I think it is that he's meant to be roguish, yeah. That's perfect. I think that it's absolutely hilarious that they're still using, like, little things that have probably been brought back from, like, you know, Japanese theater of, of the, the ancient times where, like, these characters probably, like, like the Harlequin, you know, it always looks similar. Does that make sense? But, like, this little thing has just, like, gone through time. And it's it's manifested itself in into this. It's just the eye patch, and like a whole culture is like, oh, I understand what kind of character this is. Like immediately, <laughs> it's absolutely great. Love the eye patch. Um, there, there are so many things where it's like some some characters with like some extreme hair choices. You know, you're just like the costuming in this. They're like, we gotta we gotta do it for the back row, like in real time. Right, here we go. Everything amped up to 11. Uh, to randomly loop back around to what I... So sorry. No, you're totally fine. 
to a point that I brought up and, and then sort of dropped. Things that I watched to get ready for this movie. Oh, yes. Because if you didn't know, Godzilla has a 44 film history. Absolutely crazy. Across 68 years. I thought Bond was a, was a lot. Nope. Bond ain't got shit. <laughs> <laughs> On Godzilla. And so I watched, just for my own curiosity, because Godzilla is the first kaiju movie and kaiju sort of story, but the the first kaiju movie, on film, I guess I should say, but like, you know, we've had in myth and story kaiju-like figures all throughout history. Oh, yeah. Uh, But our first monster movie, big monster movie, is, is 1933's King Kong. So I watched 1933's King Kong. Mm Mm-hmm. I watched Godzilla Raids Again, which is the immediate sequel to Godzilla. I watched Rodan. That doesn't even... It, every time you, you say it, it sounds like um, like Roseanne, like that show <laughs> from, the, from the 90s for me. Every single time. 80s. The 80s. And then I decided to jump forward and get a little bit of a direct taste of, like, the later franchise, because these first few were all within a few years of each other. Mm-hmm. So I decided to jump all the way to 1974's Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Perfect. Perfect choice. I watched the 1998 Godzilla. Yes. And I also watched Godzilla King of Monster, King of the Monsters from 2019. Wait. Did, do we have a do we have a rounded total? I wasn't keeping track. How many movies is that? Six. Wow. Plus Godzilla itself, so seven. I mean, I would hope you would watch the movie if, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about it. So, you know, I really enjoy what this movie franchise is. Definitely at the start, I think that it does get just like hopelessly silly later on to the point that I definitely also see the crazier elements that they're now drawing on in the MonsterVerse franchise because Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla is nuts. It's insane where we go in 20 years. It is wild because by the time that you hit Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. It's not just Godzilla is fighting a giant robot Godzilla. That would be one thing. There's also, on top of that, this whole subplot that involves this sort of, like, spirit idol that's trying to be stolen. And uh, these alien-like beings that have come to Earth and are here with their own agenda. Absolutely perfect. And... There's a, a moment where one of these alien-like sort of creatures gets shot in the face, and they look like humans, and then they turn into, like, partial monkey-like creatures. Oh. Yeah, it's really a whole thing. This thing went straight Doctor Who. Yeah, it goes absolutely batshit from it's an allegory for nuclear warfare and nuclear energy to... Godzilla is now fighting a robot version of Godzilla, and on top of that, the humans are doing their own weird sci-fi fuckduggery. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, this is, I'm sorry, this is straight up like a science fiction. Well, that makes sense because of also like the era that we're in now. It's the 70s, you know? There's so many like science fiction shows that are coming out right now. Science fiction is really huge right now. And so they were literally like, how do we make Godzilla interesting to the people and they were like i know what we're gonna do we're gonna bring a lot of space and we're just gonna sprinkle it all over this thing every bit of it yep and that's and that's exactly what they did i mean star trek was coming out around this um oh gosh i had i had just mentioned something doctor who was was out around now um star wars yeah is is coming out soon ish in this this time frame of the 70s so like no, yeah, it totally, it totally makes sense that they were like, how do we do it, but with this old IP? I've got it. <laughs> it's just like Jason's And also face. Planet of the Apes at that time, I guess, would have also still had some relevancy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, that's a, another great sci-fi movie as well. I'm trying to think of, like, sci-fi movies of the, of the 70s. Um, that's a rabbit hole that I'd be interested in going down. Always love me a good sci-fi from the 70s. But it's really, it's really out there. Uh, and so, but I really enjoy the first one tremendously. I have a lot of respect for it. I think it's still the shining example, I think, really, of of what this genre is at its core. It's the first one, um, and it really is just truly impressive to watch. And I, 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 I really never get tired of watching it. It's a it's a good one to just sort of put on. Like the first Godzilla is a, is a really great just sort of you know, put on and and watch kind of movie. No, yeah, for sure. Um, it is it is worthy of like the moniker of like this is a classic. You know, it's it is it's 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 one hundred percent amount of effort put into to making something that like somebody's passionate about. I think that that's fantastic, and I I think that they do. I do they do a phenomenal job with it i you know the the parts that that are now amusing is just because it's it's old you know what i mean but like it's still fantastic and i think that I mean, it's, it's it's okay to to laugh at stuff every once in a while yeah it was a puppet uh <laughs> no i completely agree if you if you had to give the original Godzilla uh, a rating out of five, what would you give it? Uh, uh, is it is it too is it too much for me to say that this movie is a five out of five? I love this movie. This no, movie that's totally absolutely, fine. Absolutely a great ride. I really enjoyed watching it with you. It was great. You know? Um, I don't know. Random, random. I, I, this is gonna, this is gonna make me sounds sounds stupid but um i wasn't expecting it to be in japanese that's because they do dub later godzilla movies okay okay i just was like i just wasn't i guess expecting it yeah i don't there's so many dubbed movies from that time period i was just like just assumed you know no yeah this one is is old school and so when the words started coming, I was like, oh, oh, I gotta, I gotta turn extra brain on. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that a five is totally fair to give this one. I mean, it is a classic. Yeah. In like every a... sense. And 
it's it is so fun to see where this character went and i understand why this character did become so iconic like there had been nothing else like like this character on screen it's kind of the same but bigger effect of of the t-rex in jurassic park there had oh, never yeah. been anything like the fucking t-rex on screen in jurassic park but it also was like i don't know a lot of like hometown pride as well you know like yeah I think that, like, Japanese culture is really, like, amplified as well, like, the legacy of Godzilla, because, like... Yeah, I mean, its legacy has endured. It's still going today. Yeah, strong, too, you know. Barney never stood a chance. So, uh, I think that that's... I think that that's pretty fair, and it's it is also a very interesting, very particular take on um on something that they were so profoundly culturally impacted by and and um you know it's interesting to see that that early reaction and that one of the most lasting impressions also of sentiment at the time is a monster movie mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's really worth 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 saying. I love the history behind it too. The the fact that people were like, "No, this is the thing that we need to. That this is the ma- thing that I'm mad about." Yeah, I'm 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 sick and tired of it. And, and here's what I have to say. Like, I love it. Stand up against the man. <laughs> Woo. Uh, so now let's move on to something that's in a totally different direction. Yes. We're now going to move on to China Syndrome from 1979. And so for, I guess, a, a real quick question for you before we get too deep into it. What was your familiarity um, with nuclear reactors in any kind of concept uh, and did this movie help clarify your understanding of them? I'm sure it did, honestly, because my my under my cultural reference point for nuclear, um, like facilities or anything like that is is it's like adult cartoons, you know? It's like it's like Family Guy, and he doesn't he didn't work at maybe he did I don't know probably, but definitely The, the Simpsons. Simpsons. Yeah, where you've got like these these stupid dudes just all collecting a paycheck at at an atomic waste facility and like it's just like normal. Just like every day. I think that this was um way way more uh intense than I was expecting it to be. You know what I mean? Like from that I was like these guys are a bunch of accountants. You know, God, I always knock on accounts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that your job is important. It's just you got so many numbers. It, it's got to be boring. Like, there's nothing fun to talk about. Um, um, but that's like it, you okay. know? <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole thing. I, I, I can't think of another thing other than like that one episode of Chernobyl that we watched many moons ago. But like, that's it. That's it. This is a nice, solid, I guess, right in the middle of those two moods kind of movie for me. Well, uh, 
I do have just a, a little bit of, of history and background on China Syndrome and nuclear reactors and that kind of thing. Sure. Enlighten, enlighten me. And the listeners. So, uh, this is more of a very broad nuclear history than a real history, I guess, of nuclear reactors, per se. Um, that's fine. Uh, so, the very first concept of, of coming up with the idea of splitting an atom for, I guess, you know, the potentially you know, weaponized or, or not even weaponized, but incredibly energetic outcome happened in, in 1933. Uh, it's not until 1941, however, that the, that the U.S. starts working on creating the concept of splitting an atom for a weapon, and it's essentially out of fear that Hitler is going to do it. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to have to just pause you right here and now. So what you're, what I guess you're alluding to is that splitting an atom is a, is a bomb. Yeah, the way that the, the, the underlying concept of the nuclear weapon, the reason that it's called the H-bomb is because what's happening is they're splitting a hydrogen bomb at an atomic level. They're splitting like the N at a hydrogen atom. Wow, I've I've literally never known what the hell was going on in those. I never really, I, I guess, I, I'm There's... sure that we were taught in school. I just don't remember because my brain said that, that, that I didn't need that anymore. There's some sort of sci-fi something that was relevant when we were young. Where, like, the characters, like, sort of, like, one-liner right before they detonate something was like, and this is what happens when you split an atom. And I really feel like it's something Jimmy Neutron related, but that's beside the point. So, uh, moving on, yes, what happens is it's splitting an atom. And so the people that end up, it's a whole team of scientists that work on conceptualizing the idea of not just splitting an atom, but putting it in some sort of weaponized warhead device. And they start working on it in 1941. This is the Manhattan Project. Wow, I guess I guess I never really had like a basis for like how smart these people were, until until you said this whole concept, and I went, man, where would I even start? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like mental gymnastics. And of course, some of the famous names that come from the Manhattan Project. I mean, some of these names were famous before it, but these are some famous names affiliated with the Manhattan Project: Albert Einstein, Enrico Fermi, Robert Oppenheimer. And so, 1945, the bomb is ready, and the first test is held on July 16th. Uh, August 6th, 1945, the first bomb is dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, three days later, August 9th, the second one is dropped on Nagasaki. Uh, the first nuclear reactor is created in 1954, June 27th, in Omninsk, Kaluga, Oblast USSR. Wow, I'm sure that that was an exact translation. Mm -hmm. um, it was good. You did a you did a fine job with that one. I am confident in you. So nuclear reactors start to get more and more created, but also nuclear weapons start to get advanced and tested and worked upon. Uh, during the 1950s and 60s, there are multiple detonations, fires, 
and other mishaps that occur to nuclear weapons, nuclear material, nuclear reactors, etc. Okay. Uh, the first major incident that results in fatalities in the U.S. Uh, is in 1961 at the Idaho National Laboratory where there is a steam explosion that kills three. Wow. Uh, so that's a little bit of background on sort of the history of nuclear reactors at the time sort of leading up to this point. It was a very polarizing issue. Um, and so China Syndrome decides to explore that idea. And China Syndrome came out March 16th, 1979. Remember that date. March 16th, 1979. It is directed by James Bridges. It is written by T.S. Cook and Mike Gray. It stars Michael Douglas as Richard Adams, Jane Fonda as Kimberly Wells, and Jack Lemmon as Jake as Jack Goodell. And the plot is a reporter finds what appears to be a cover-up of a safety of safety hazards at a nuclear power plant. And so that's a little bit of of background on on that. Um, Mike Gray, the writer, was originally a documentarian. It was originally supposed to be three men, and Richard Dreyfus was supposed to be the lead. Uh, but when he dropped out, they made it a female lead, and they contacted Jane Fonda. Oh, wow. Uh, both Jane Fonda and Jack Lemmon were openly anti-nuclear at the time. Um, it's loosely based on a series of different incidences, and um, the main control room where so much of the movie takes place is a replica of an actual nuclear facility control room. Oh, essentially. that's cool. Um... And, uh, and that's a little bit of, of background on, on the movie. So, what did you think of the China Syndrome? Every Had time... you seen this movie before? No, I'd never even heard of this movie before. Um, yeah, not a, not a bit of, of this movie was ever on my radar. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's a completely different mood. <laughs> from from Godzilla like entirely like you're we're talking about like real life versus hardcore fiction you know just there's there's no two bones about it but um I really enjoyed this this movie because also like I just don't really have a basis for for any understanding of of nuclear anything like the the sheer concept of me it's it's just it's a word that people use and like you know there I'm sure there's math and science involved in it but like I just know what it can do. Like, I don't know how to create, like, a like a pipe bomb. Like, I don't know how to do nuclear war, you know? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to get caught looking up those things on the internet. <laughs> I love you. Um, but it's just, um, I really just, it, it was it was an interesting learning experience from especially something that is uh, obviously, you know, it, historical fiction i guess would be like the best way to describe it um does that make sense yeah um because it's not it's not non-fiction like it's not true but it is it is things that can and did happen all like jumbled together 
and and given in a way that is it is dramatic enough to be considered, I guess, a film. Yeah. But um putting all of that aside, like I really I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was uh I I I don't like the name. Yeah. So the name comes from a line of dialogue in the film, which I guess is an official concept for um, that for this idea of, of what happens with a nuclear reactor in a meltdown, which is that it, it would start to burn a hole outside of its containment area and that theoretically, if left unattended, it could burn a hole straight to China. And so uh, the whole idea is called China Syndrome, when you potentially have a nuclear, uh, when you have a, a nuclear reactor about to go uh, into meltdown. I guess, what is the... But to your point, it maybe isn't the best aged title. Like, I think that it's gotten very vague over time. Yeah, and, and cause, like, that was not the first thing that I thought of when I heard this this movie. I was like, this might be a little racist. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just kind of reminded me of, like, Trump calling uh, COVID, like, the China flu. Yeah. You know, like, that's what it... <laughs> so I was like, I have no idea. Like, every time you say it, my brain goes on this wild go- goose chase for the actual, like, what the hell this movie is in my memory bank instead of just going on a, on a separate adjacent goose hand chase of being like, I think this might be a little racist, like every single time. No, I get it's, completely where you're coming from. Colliding. It does have, it, it is the problem of like, you know, having those, those terms that were associated with COVID that became so widespread that then when you hear something like China syndrome, especially if you didn't see the movie before, all of that because like i saw the movie before this i saw this and movie this years is, ago this is my first time seeing it and so i think that for me i have an association of a prior memory of watching the china syndrome whereas for you it's it's not a name that sticks for you no because it, it sort of fits in with those sort of trove of names yeah it just it's very non-specific you know, if I if I picked up this book and I was judging this book by its cover and its title was China Syndrome, I would I would have no idea what this book was about. You know, that's when I would have to like read the back paragraph or read the inside paragraph or maybe like actually start reading this book and then go, wait, what is this about? <laughs> every single time, because every part of it would be like, it's about a reporter. And I'd be like, that's not right. Uh... No, I I completely see what you mean about the title. I, like I said, I had seen the movie before. I really quite enjoy this movie a lot. Oh, I, no, I think that it's phenomenal. I think that it's very well acted. I think that the script is great. It it reminds me a lot of, like, I don't know, like a, like an Aaron Sorkin thing. You know what I mean? Like, very, very meticulous, very particular. Well, it falls into that kind of, like... I call it, like, environmental thriller or, like, environmental legal movie, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, as an example, uh, it's the same sort of space, I would say, as, like, Aaron Brockovich. Okay. You know, on a another, certain that's level. another movie with a title where I go, what is this? The Julia Roberts movie where she gets justice for all the people that have been poisoned by the, the chemical leak 
Yes, and her name is Erin Brockovich? Yes. Oh, okay. Again, it never it never sticks, but that's fine. Uh or Michael Clayton mm-hmm. is another one where the the person that's going crazy that's having a meltdown is this person that's trying to help these people get justice for exposure to a dangerous chemical. No, yeah, it's definitely like um I feel Extreme like it falls in, envi- yeah. environmental awareness. Yeah, you know, it falls in that sort of area for me, I think. Um, and I think it does a great job with it. I have only seen Jack Lemon really, you know, either very young or here. And so it's really interesting to look at the sort of two extremes of, of Jack Lemon. I think he does a tremendous job um, as the nuclear reactor sort of like floor manager or whatever the hell he is. Oh yeah, he's not the mustache man, he's the main dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and I think that he does I think that he does an absolutely tremendous job. I love Michael Douglas. Um Michael Douglas is is again one of those that I haven't seen honestly. It's a whole cast really where I haven't seen too terribly much of their work. But this is one that has definitely made me, um, especially fans of, like, Jane Fonda and, and Michael Douglas. You know, this is one of the oh, movies that yeah. if people looked at me and are like, what's one of your favorite Michael Douglas or Jane Fonda movies? You know, I could easily call up China, China Syndrome. Syndrome. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely one of those, like, obscure ones. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna, honestly, I'm gonna agree with you about it, it being one of, like, a cast of people that you don't get to see that often and like I can't really name you a lot of Michael Douglas movies this is definitely the youngest I've ever seen either of them um you know I I've seen Jane Fonda in things I couldn't name a single thing though for you um but no I think that they do a phenomenal job and like I understand why people liked watching them in things you know what I mean like no, I, I totally get it. I just, I think that maybe they're doing, maybe they're doing acting right where you like pick and choose things that you do a little bit with, uh, with more care instead of just being like, you know, ups, yeah, just up for hire, you know, pretty much being like, I just want to be famous and then, and then do schlock after that. And they're like, you know, it's, whatever it is, just make sure it's a good deal. No, literally you know, some, 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 some sell your soul to the, to the devil kind of, kind of acting deals where you're like, I just want to be famous. I don't want to do things that are good though. It's the price you pay. Yeah. So I, I think the movie structures itself a little bit off. I think that some of the, the pacing of the movie is a little bit wonky for me. I think that we end up I think that the hostage situation is a little short for me. What hostage situation? At the end of the movie. I just remember this movie just just ending. That's how I feel about the the ending. It just, out of nowhere, it just stops. It's got the whole hostage situation uh, that that leads to her then going out and reporting on what happened, you know, to the world. Yeah. Um, I think... That the, that the hostage situation, for my taste, went on a little bit short. 
But I think that that's fair. I, and, think that, I think that that's why I'm having a hard time remembering the ending. I think that the, the movie itself is great, but I definitely think that the ending itself is just kind of like the movie just stopped playing. And I was like, wait, it's over. And I also think for my personal taste, they brought in a little bit. A little bit too much of. I guess I feel like it could have been a little bit tauter and a little bit more focused on on the lead up to the tension popping off. Mm-hmm. It felt a little, I guess, um, unfocused in that sense as well. And so that's probably the two notes that I would give it. Um, but I think other than that, I, it really does a tremendous job. And it also has that that tremendous opening scene where there is the incident where they they inadvertently almost expose the reactor. And that scene is absolutely pulse-pounding. No, yeah, and, like, I think they do, again, a great job at, like, kind of showing me and then not telling me so much of, like, what I need to know about nuclear um, reactors and stuff like that. Like, these are just a bunch of people who were working nine to five who, like, this is their job, and they're really good at it, but it is also very high stress, you know? Like, that that part completely plays for me, and is that's what makes that scene so intense, is, like, just a whole bunch of people who are, like, doing some NASA-level shit, but, like, nobody, nobody knows. And, you know, they just look like, they look like they could be the cast of The Office. I know a guy who, to your point, random aside, and then we'll get back on topic, I apologize. I knew a guy who worked at a nuclear facility. Did he look like he could have worked in The Office? Yeah, he just, he looked like a guy. I'll tell you how much of a, of a regular guy he looked like. He, I knew him because he used to work at GameStop with me. Oh, so he he looked like a regular GameStop employee kind of guy, and then he went to work at a nuclear reactor. Yeah, is is that why that's the that that whole spoof of like 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 Homer Simpson? Like they're all stupid. <laughs> well, you know, the, like but that 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 seems really cruel. The after thing watching is, this. to do certain functions at a nuclear facility, you don't need to understand what it's doing. Hmm at a chemical level of how it's creating any of, of that. You just need to know the danger levels, what to look for, how to keep it in check, all of that kind of thing. You need a certain amount of just procedure. No, yeah, but I don't think that the, the, any amount of procedure would prepare me for for whatever the hell happens in this movie where the the reactor almost explodes or something and like takes out the whole city. Is that what the is that what the consequence is? It would have it would have caused um a nuclear event potentially, yeah. I like how you call it event like it's not going to be catastrophic. <laughs> like, it would have been a Chernobyl-like event, yeah. Okay, okay. Jeez. Um, no, yeah, again, just, you'd have to have some kind of, a base understanding of, of what the hell is going on, or else, like, yeah. we're all screwed, you know? You like, have to know why all of those things matter, but you don't need to know any kind of nuclear science to know that you need to keep it. So you're telling me that that man was winging it? No, he knew exactly what he was doing. 
But he doesn't need to know, like, how to split an atom. Like, he doesn't need to be, like, I'm going to create a nuclear bomb level smart. Okay. okay. He just so has they're... to know all of that system cold. They, they're, okay, so they're, they're not, on my, on my level of, of human intelligence in movies, they're not, um, hidden figures, ladies, smart. I'm sure some of them are, but probably not all of them know. Okay. Well, I still, I still stand by my statement. I think that, I think that The Simpsons is, is, is really, um, making the rube out of this whole career. But this guy, the guy that I knew didn't have, like, a college degree. Oh, this is such a this is such a weird place. He's the guy that I know that had a heart attack because he drank too much uh like monster energy drink. Oh wow. So yeah. anyhow I don't I don't know. I don't know then. Never mind. Um but I, I think that Jack I think that the other thing that they really land hard is that even though Jack Lemon is completely sane and correct in explaining what's wrong with the facility and what's wrong with the system because he does it at too high of a level, it doesn't read with the public. And so then they have to go outside after he's been killed. Spoiler alert. It's it's from 1979. Um, <laughs> it is from 1979. And, you know, they have to... They have to explain in a more understandable way what he was talking about. Is it bad? You know, they kind of, they understand that he went too much above people's heads. And that now, as a responsible journalist, she has to go out and find a way to bring it down to a level to make people want to give a shit about it. Such an because even movie. though he took the, the place by gunpoint, the way he explained it is too much. Yeah. And I think that they really land how sort of bitingly tragic that is. No, yeah, honestly, this movie is great. Um, again, the youngest, the youngest um, Michael Douglas performance I've ever seen, and that's really saying something because I he has always had white hair in yeah. my memory, and it's just it was great to see him with like a head full of dark hair. Like I wasn't expecting that at all. I was like, oh, holy crap, Michael Douglas! I don't know why. I guess I thought he was like a, a blonde or something, but it was like dark hair. It's fascinating. That's how I feel about your dad. So, if you had to rate China Syndrome out of five, what would you give it? Oh, I think that this movie is also deserving of a five. I think that this movie is is doing a really great job. Um, I think the stakes are completely there and in an understandable way that I don't need to understand um, nuclear physics or, or, or whatever it is um, in order to, to watch this movie, which is great because I don't. But I also think that, like, if Wisecrack were going to do um, a whole thing about, like, with nuclear physicists or whatever, um, that they would be like, no, this movie is pretty, pretty accurate. And I'd be like, oh, tight, <laughs> you know? Because um, once it's got that stamp of approval, that's when you know it's, like, truly a window into a society that you're never going to get to see. I think that it's great. Um, I'll give it a four. Oh, okay. Because I do think that it has some of that pacing issue. Um but but for the most part no i think it's a really tremendous movie and i really really enjoy it and the performances are fantastically strong yeah i i completely lose myself in this film yeah um it's it's a great movie and it's still very relevant and also even though it's supposed to be critical of atomic energy 
I think it's more critical of the bureaucracy of it and that system around it mm-hmm. than it is of the power source itself. Yeah, no, um, it is, it's definitely a, a movie about people, I think, more so, mm-hmm. and, and the, the conspiracy. Um, for a little fun fact, there are roughly 440 nuclear reactors operating around the world today. Delightful. Uh, in the United States, uh, there are 94 reactors in 56 power plants across 28 states. What the hell do we even use nuclear power for? It's plugged into our grid. Oh, okay. But I, I just got so many questions about the, the sheer like logistics of this thing, which I'm not going to go into now. We can talk about that later. If you want to hear the other side of things, there are approximately 13,000 nuclear weapons in the world today. They are in nine countries, China, France, India, Israel, North Korea, Russia, United Kingdom, the United States. 90% of them are under Russian or United States control. It's uh, like a who has the bigger dick in this party kind of... Kind of. <laughs> at the peak of the Cold War uh, in 1968 to 1969, the U.S. had about 31,000 warheads. Ugh. Today, the U.S. has... 3,750 warheads. However, there are 2,000 that are, uh, and I'm quoting the State Department here, uh, retired or awaiting dismantlement. So they aren't gone yet. They aren't completely bricked, if you will. So theoretically also, I guess you could reassemble those if you wanted them or needed them. So really there's about almost 6,000 active in the world right now or in the u.s right now oh just the u.s delightful so um that's just a a little bit of fun fact to do's for you about nuclear power as it's currently presented in the world which also echoes some of how we saw it in the movies today no yeah um I think that it's also really interesting because like nuclear power is one of those things where like for me i just can't wrap my head around the like the sheer magnitude of it. Yeah, the magnitude of it. The, like, why are we doing this? Like, how are we harnessing energy off of it? You know, what are what are the sustainable benefits of, of using this? other? And, like, all I can see is just, like, you know, warheads and, and sadness. And that, that bums me out. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> no, I see where you're at. Um, there certainly is a discussion. We won't have it now because we're not NPR. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) not yet (laughs) and so uh but what we will do is move on uh to the end of our show and so here we are at last um i guess we'll go ahead and kick things off with um with what we're watching um so what have we watched since Midnight Mass? Oh my gosh, um, a whole lot of Jeopardy, number one, but in all seriousness. I love Jeopardy. Um, Matea, the current, the current uh, multi-day champion, she's doing great. 
Yes, sorry, I thought you were giving me a title of something that we had watched, and I was like, I've never heard of that movie. Hey, 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 I'm I'm doing this. Um, okay, so, wait, since? Yeah, since Midnight Mass. What, what day of the week was last Friday? Here, let me see. So, we've got on here... Um, oh, it's it's uh, Star Trek II, Wrath of The Khan. Wrath of Khan. Okay, yeah. thank you. Sorry, I was having a hard time figuring out where in April I needed to land. Yeah, we watched Wrath of Khan. I prefer the first one. I prefer Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um. Oh, yeah, I think that that's completely an accurate statement. Um. I still... Uh, in a in a deep part of my of my soul, really just enjoyed this movie a lot for its sheer just like ridiculous nature. Yeah. Um, which is which is very common of the of the brand, and like they're all taking it so serious. But um, it apparently got a huge budget cut from the first one to the second one. I mean, you can tell. You can tell they're literally on sets the entire time. They don't go to a single planet in this movie. They are straight up just in the ships. And that's it. They don't even get to be in the same place. Um, and oh gosh, who who what's the what's the name of the man who plays who plays Khan? Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban is is absolutely, I think, a a runaway for me. Um, I know that your your mother has has differing opinions about his appearance in the in the movie. I think that he's phenomenal. I think they should they asked him to show up and play himself, and he does a phenomenal job of it. <laughs> absolutely kills me um but no like i i completely agree i think that the first one is definitely a more interesting movie especially like the like where it goes with the story this it's like a story about life and that's that's in such a in like such a weird interesting concept uh way of presenting it whereas like this movie is just like some weird like you killed my 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 family so prepare to die kind of kind of story <laughs> No, absolutely. I And I I think that also unless you really are ultra connected with the original series, I just don't think that the Khan story has as much of an impact as they want it to. I mean, it does because of the Spock death, but without the Spock death, that Khan story doesn't really hit hard. No, no, and I, I completely understand. I think that I would put this as kind of like a, you know, an end of season movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you're like, oh, you liked it so much, but we didn't get the budget. Get ready for season two. So, um, we got this movie instead. Enjoy. We're we're leaving. Kind of like how how Firefly had to make a how to make a very um, gracious exit as they were canceled. Yeah. <laughs> Um, beyond that, I also have watched, honestly, other than, like, a lot of the Godzilla stuff, really not much. Um, Twelve Angry Men, maybe? Great movie. Uh, art. Um, uh, you watched Twelve Angry Men. You've watched a few of the the movies in the the collection. Yeah, 28 Days Later. Um, great movie. 28 Weeks Later. Great movie. Um, not as good, though, by a lot. Um, next up, the only other thing that I wanted to talk about was two little bits of news. So, uh, the first thing was there was the Thor Love and Thunder trailer. I think it looks fine. (laughs) Yeah, I think that they were like, all right, what do we do with Thor now? And they were like, 
I don't know. And everybody said, I don't know. And they were like, 80s movie? And they were like, 80s movie. And then that's that's what we got. We got an 80s movie with Thor. Never-ending story kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Going on, an, on a fanciful adventure. Yeah, exactly. It 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 doesn't it feel, um, mm. it feels pretty laid back. It feels like we're going to not have a lot of action in this one. And more of like, I don't know. Thor getting high? I have no idea. I'm sure that we're going to get plenty of action once we meet our villain, Gore the God Butcher. Oh, yeah, sure, but we didn't see any of that in the trailer. Uh-uh. All we saw was fluffy sunshine scenes. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, other than the Thor the Dark World trailer, or Thor the Dark World, ha, Thor Love and Thunder, um, was the Netflix, uh, stock plummeted today and it was in a reaction to a letter that netflix sent out it was an after hours stock plummet and it was in a letter that was sent out to executives you know upper level people of netflix um about their their quarter one subscribers and so what ended up happening was they had a overall net loss of 200,000 subscribers and that's making a very splashy headline but what's actually happening underneath all that is they gained 500,000 subscribers they lost 700,000 when they cut off service in Russia oh yeah however they are anticipating still losing some more subscribers uh, and that's, they say, due to increasing competition, uh, slow adoption of smart TVs, password sharing issues, uh, and micro uh, macroeconomic issues. Um, they overall estimate that there are 100 million people who are using someone else's password in the U.S. or around the world uh, right now. That well, don't pay for the service in any way. Well, duh, but that's that's since the beginning, Netflix. What are you talking about? How is it affecting your numbers now? You've been around for like 10 years. And so uh, they have 200... Two, they have 222.6 million global subscribers. Um, and so they've they've recently announced as well also that they're going to be doing the like cracking down on password sharing... But that, and having the more expensive sort of packages for how many people you share it with. They also announced... Well, this is why they're going to lose people, because they're also going to lose the people who are paying for it, who are going to be asked to pay more money. Well, and it's getting, it is getting more expensive. They are now announcing an ad-supported version of Netflix is going to be coming in the future. So they're just going to become Hulu. Uh Uh-huh. And they I'm not even watching anything off of Netflix right now currently. No, and the other big thing that a lot of people have been pointing out is that Netflix is quick to cancel shows that even if they have an audience, it's not doing the numbers that they want. And so they cancel it even if it's not really done. Yeah. And then it never has any conclusions. So there's like a lot of just like unfinished shit all over Netflix. No. Half-started content, you know. 
I think that they should get into the game of actually releasing their stuff onto disc because at least, you know, then they would also be getting a second revenue stream of people who do just want like a hard copy of it like i would love to get the rest of the seasons i'd love to have of, midnight mass yeah midnight mass would be great i was gonna say the seasons of stranger things you know so we can have a complete set like it would be awesome well and i know that they want subscribers but also there are people who don't want to pay that monthly bill but will once a show is out on disc you know go out and get it yeah, because that's more sustainable for them. The the honest reality of this is, is like the more money they asked for, they were already had a huge market of people who probably just can't sustain having, you know, 15 movie subscriptions and and services and whatnot and it's 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 just the new having a credit card, you know, you're just wiping yourself dry on something that you're probably not even in using that much. So like really asking people to to pay more money for this is just an outrageous thing because like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm we're now using this instead of having a cable package. So we can't it's it's like having 10 different cable packages now mm -hmm. all asking for you to pay $15 a month for all 10 of them. That's a, that's a hundred and now that you have ads, you're literally just essentially, it's just TV. You're what you were before. You're <laughs> what you like got circle. rid of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the macroeconomic conditions that they cite include sluggish economic growth, increasing inflation, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and continued disruption from COVID. Continued disruption from COVID is a is a is a false answer because of the fact that with COVID, people are at home. What do I do when I'm home? I watch stuff. No, I think that it means in the terms of like um staff shortages because of people getting COVID, supply chain disruptions, these kinds of things. Okay. Well that halted or slowed production of certain things. Well, they're fine, honestly. How about they finish the OA? <laughs> Um, so that's, that's the last bit of, of news that I had for y'all. Uh, the only other thing that I wanted to bring up before we close out the show was, uh, this Sunday, it's a very special day. Dear, what day is it? It's my birthday. Yeah. How old are you turning? 29. That's right. Gosh, I had to think about that for a second. It's been so long since somebody's asked me how old I'm turning. <laughs> so our dear, dear co-host is turning 29 this Sunday. And, uh, you know, you're listening to it potentially long after that. But if you're listening to it beforehand, uh, we even recorded a day earlier than usual. Yeah. Uh, because we're doing a whole big thing this weekend. We're getting away a little bit. Um, but... Happy birthday, dear. Aw, thank you. And I love you so much. And uh, I'm glad that I got to be here with you on your special day. And I think it's great that your birthday is so close to Earth Day. I think it's fitting. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I just wanted to, to wish you happy birthday and let you know that you are an invaluable part of the show. And I love you very much. Oh, I love you. Thank you. You're Yay! Uh, Birthday wishes are the best. And on that note, I really don't have anything else for, for you, good listener. Uh, 
go and follow us on social media. Um, we're at the Film Buds Podcast on Instagram. We're at the Film Buds on Twitter. Um, you can email us at the Film Buds Podcast at gmail.com. So reach out to us, you know. I'm I'm relatively active on Twitter. You can always email us questions, comments, concerns. Go and give us a review if you haven't already. And uh, also check out last week's episode and any of our written content uh, on our website. Uh, last week's episode was our, our Midnight Mass episode for Easter. Uh, also be sure to come back next week. We're going to have two guests, one per movie. Uh, we're going to be joined by Nicholas Delgadillo, Woo. notorious madman. <laughs> That's his rap handle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he'd be thrilled to hear that. And uh, Madeline Davis. And Woo. so we're going to have a, a double up for y'all on guest, and it's going to be in celebration of Arbor Day. That's the day that everybody was like, all right, I'm coming to be in April. <laughs> Sign Showing me up. Showing out. Showing our... <laughs> out on Arbor. Yeah. The trees would be proud. <laughs> so, uh, thank, thanks, you guys, as always, for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.